Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. Fear is an interesting concept. makes us do strange things. Um, In 2014, Mel and I found ourselves at Universal Studios in LA in front of the House of Horrors, considering whether to go in or not. I didn't want to go in, obviously, um, because I'm a scaredy cat. But there was four of us, and I don't think any one of us wanted to go in, but we sort of group thunk our way into the House of Horrors. It was a terrible decision, but we walked in, and it's basically, you know, a bunch of rooms and actors dressed up in different costumes and they try and scare you basically that's what it is and you give them money and I don't know why but the first room you walk in that I can remember a lot of it's a blank but it was a corridor a dark corridor and we're walking through Mel and I two of our friends one of our friends by the way she got night terrors like every night she would have night terrors so I don't know why she came in none of us wanted to be in there I don't know stupid we walk in and walk through the dark hallway, and at the end of the dark hallway, just this creepy bride just walks across slowly, and you see the train of the, of the wedding dress. And the chick we were with just absolutely freaked out, and she grabbed Mel's hand and the other guy's hand and just twisted their arms and fell to the ground screaming. Like, it was a, it was a, it was a sight. And so we put, I think, I think someone put a jumper over her head, and we just took her through the next, like, the next three rooms, there was a Chucky room and there was a little Chucky person running around trying to chase you. And we got to an exit and um, none of us wanted to keep going, and, but no one wanted to admit that they didn't want to keep going. And so we let the girl out and we're like, oh, we'll stay with you. You know, we'll do the nice thing. It's fine. We don't need to go on. I really wanted to, but I'll, I'll, we'll stay with you. And she's like, no, you go on. And we're like, no, we'll stay. And she's like, you go on. And we went on. And... Um, for some reason, I was, I was in the front, and I didn't want to be in the front, and so I kept trying to get Mel to go in front, and we got to a room, and it was like, I don't know, like body bags, I suppose, you meant to walk through, and I'm like, I don't want to go into this room, I'm freaking out, and just behind us was a sort of an 80-year-old Japanese man, and he just looked like he was going for a walk in the park, he was just, he was just sort of doing these ones. He's just absolutely chilling, and I was like, this dude needs to be our new leader, and so I, I asked him, I was like, you go, we'll follow you, he's like, no. <laughs> but fear makes you do some stupid things. It has an impact on you. It's this phrase that we find in the Bible, which we're going to read in a second in the scripture passage this morning, the fear of God, or the fear of the Lord. And it's a pretty tricky phrase. I don't know if you've ever come across this phrase before. But it's a pretty interesting concept. It sort of feels a little bit icky because we know that healthy relationships shouldn't be based on fear. Um, 1 John 4.18 says, Perfect love casts out all fear. And yet we find this phrase over and over again in the Scriptures, the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. So how should we approach a phrase like this? We're going to read in Luke chapter 12. And I hope that this actually brings a lot of Freedom. This is actually an extremely helpful concept when we can get our head around it. We have, um, since we launched our church, we've been slowly walking through 
the Gospel of Luke. We're up to chapter 12. It's been four years. And so there's 24 chapters. We've got another four years in us. And the reason we're doing that because there's generally, as preachers, there's two ways you can preach. One's kind of topical, where you pick a topic. We've just been through a topical series, practicing. Uh, You pick a topic around scripture or Sabbath or hospitality and see what the scriptures say about that. The other way to preach is exegetical, which is you just pick a a book of the Bible or a passage and you go through verse by, by verse and you let the scripture determine the topic. And both of these are great. It's really good to just sit and explore prayer or sit and explore generosity or whatever it is. But it's really good to let the scriptures just inform what we're talking about. And so we've been slowly immersing our way through the, the ways, the words, the works of Jesus. And uh, we started in uh, Luke chapter 12 last week. Dan spoke last week, which is great. You can catch it on the podcast. But verse 4 says this Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. But I tell you whom to fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. What's the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins. Yet yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. I tell you the truth. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man will also acknowledge in the presence of angels. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when you are brought to trial in the synagogue and before rulers and authorities... Don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at the right time what needs to be said. This is a pretty curly passage full of fearing God and hell and angels and don't worry about what to say and blaspheming the Holy Spirit. It's a very confusing passage, but I want to walk through this morning and I hope that we find some freedom in this concept. So verse 4, verse 4 says, Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. Pretty normal to be afraid of someone who wants to kill your body. Weird phrase, kill your body, but don't be afraid of someone who wants to hurt you. Don't be afraid of someone who wants to hurt you. They can't do, they can't do any more to you after that. Verse 5, but I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God. He has the power to kill your body, but then he has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. So what's going on here? How do we approach a scripture like this? I find it helpful to think about the people in your life that you have, that you're afraid of. You have an outsized fear of because of what they say. And you always tiptoe around them, you know, think about what they might do. There might be people in your world that have an outsized effect on your decision-making process. It might be someone at work or someone in your family or someone from your past or a friend or someone on social media writing comments, or whatever it is. There are people in our world that we actually alter our behavior because we're afraid of how they'll react. I don't know if you've got people like that in your world. I'm sure you do. But have you ever thought about why we fear as humans? Like, why do we have the biological fear mechanism? Like, why would you be afraid of sharks, or a snake, or heights, or a clown in the House of Horrors? Anyone have a guess? Self-preservation. Vince, you're a smart man. 
We fear because fear actually keeps us safe in some ways. It's our brain telling us that we've got something on our hands here that we need to handle appropriately. And so when it comes to the fear of God, it's our spirit telling us that we have something on our hands here that we need to handle, approach appropriately. Fear of a snake in a healthy measure allows us to approach it appropriately. And we've been trying to teach Milo, who's two years old, a healthy fear of the road and cars, because he just has no fear of the man. He'll just run out on the, on the road. Like, he doesn't care. He's like, that'll stop for me. The world just opens up before me. It's fine. And we're trying to teach him that if you go out on the road, a, a car might crash into you and it will hurt you. And that is a healthy fear. A healthy fear not to be afraid of cars, but to, be, to fear what they can do. To still be okay to hop up into the car seat and drive in a car, not to be fearful of cars, but be fearful of what a car can do. I think that idea begins to help us grasp a little bit around how we should approach the fear of God. Fear is attributing the appropriate weight to something. And so the fear of God is attributing the the appropriate weight to God. It's taking God seriously. My definition of the fear of God is this, right-sizing God. Right-sizing God putting him in his rightful place. And when we right-size God, when we realize that God is powerful and big and large and mysterious, then what also happens is the people in our world begin to become right-sized as well, that people become human-sized. We have the tendency to make people bigger than they are in our minds or smaller than they are or ourselves bigger than we are or ourselves smaller than we are. And actually, a healthy measure of the fear of God allows us in ourselves and the viewing of the people around us to be perfectly human-sized. That's a very good place to be, to be perfectly human-sized. The fear of God is recognizing that God is God and that I am not God. It's right-sizing myself and right-sizing God. And I think when you get this, when we get this, when we actually live into this, you begin to live free. Nicky Gumbel says this. He says, the fear, fear God and you need not fear anything else in life. Fear God and you need not fear anything else in life. What's he saying? He's saying, if you put God in his rightful place, you realize the magnitude of his power and his presence and his story, his big story across everything. You need not fear anything else in life. I think this is exactly what Jesus is trying to get at here with these verses. And Jesus tells us to fear God because he can kill our body, but he can also throw us into hell. Now, I don't have time to go into the whole hell conversation. I spoke about two years ago on three biblical views of hell. You can catch that on the podcast. But the word Jesus uses here, and Jesus talks about hell a lot. He uses the word Gehenna. And um, Gehenna was actually a place. It was originally a place where pagans would go and do child sacrifice in order to get favor from the gods. And um, the Israelites obviously put an end to that, which is great. Then they turned it into a tip, a dump. It was outside the city and all the, all the stuff, all the rubbish, all the waste of the city would go there and that would burn it. That's how you'd get rid of waste. And so it's just this like burning pile of crap outside of the city, right? And all these connotations of just somewhere you don't want to go. It's wrapped up in the child uh, sacrifice stuff, but just like you just don't want to go there. And Jesus uses this phrase over and over again in an eternal sense of like, this is not a place you want to go to. 
This is not a place you want to be, away from God, away from the city. The city of God is often represented, Revelation 21 and 22. It's like the new garden of Eden. It's the place you want to be. It's life, and the doors are always open, and there's, there's multicultural, and there's life and love, and the river of uh, life and trees that are healing for the nations. Outside of that is Gehenna. And Jesus is saying, fear God because of these two things, which seems a little, a little rough. Fear God because he can kill you. Other people can kill you as well, but God can kill you. And he can throw you into hell. It just feels like, oh, this is not a, like a, necessarily a healthy relationship. It's important that we don't stop reading there because he goes on and he says this. What is the price of five sparrows? It seems like he's just going on a tangent here, just talking about something else, but it's very connected. What's the price of five, spar- five sparrows? Two copper coins. I don't know what the price of five sparrows is. I guess it's two copper coins. Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. See this? So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Fear God. He can throw you into hell. But don't be afraid because you are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Which one is it? Fear God or don't be afraid? Fear God or don't be afraid? Well, it's obviously both. It often is with Jesus. Fear God or don't be afraid. Why should we fear God? Because he's bloody powerful. Why should we not be afraid? Because he really cares for you. Because he loves you. He knows the number of hairs on your head, which is easier to count for some of us than others. Not only is God powerful, but he is loving and he is good. And in that sense, he is the right thing to fear. When we right-size God, it's actually a healthy place to be because this infinite being cares for tiny you. There's a story that preachers use all the time, but it's a great story because it's, it's awesome. It's C.S. Lewis who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, which is like an allegory, a picture of the Christian life. And in the Chronicles of Narnia, there is a lion. His name's Aslan, and he's like the Jesus figure. And there's a conversation between Susan, one of the main characters, and Mr. Beaver, who was a beaver. And they're having a conversation. And, you know, that's weird to start with, but it's a story. And Mr. Beaver is telling Susan about Aslan, this lion. And she says this. She says, is he quite safe? I'd be rather nervous to meet a lion, which is, which is understandable. And Mr. Beaver turns to her and says this. Safe? Who said anything about Safe. Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. Of course he's not safe, but he is good. Dallas Willard put it like this, God is mean, God is not mean, but he is dangerous. God's not mean, but he is dangerous. He's not a small thing just to deal with. We need to approach him with an appropriate measure of awe. And realizing that he is God and I am not. He has power, eternal power. Goes on verse 8 and 9. I tell you the truth. Anyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man, that's Jesus' like favorite nickname for himself, Son of Man. It comes from Daniel. The Son of Man will also acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's 
angels. What's Jesus trying to get at here? It feels like he's changed tack again. Now, first he's talking about fearing God because he's thrown to hell. Then he's talking about sparrows. And now he's talking about angels and fearing people and denying him. What he's getting at is when you fear God and realize that he loves you, that he cares for you, not to be afraid of him, but to fear him. When you're speaking to someone, there is actually a greater reality going on. Not only are you speaking to people, but there is a spiritual reality going on as well. There's always a thing behind the thing. There's always a bigger story. And so he's reminding us that whatever we're facing right now, whatever the, the sort of the thing is right in our face, there's always a bigger story. There is always a thing behind the thing. There's always more going on than the material world that we live in. There is a bigger story at play. And when we get that, when we remember that, it's pretty hard to remember that when we're in the face of something that seems so big or travel, you know, facing a crisis or a challenge or whatever it is. But we, when we remember that, that there is a bigger story, there is a spiritual reality at play, we right-size God again because we place ourselves again in the story of God. Verse 10. This is another curly one. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven. So if you speak against Jesus, Jesus is saying, I'll forgive you. It's fine. You speak against me, I'll forgive you. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What the heck does that mean? You can speak against Jesus, but you can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Well, the context of this chapter, uh, chapter 12, funnily enough, comes after chapter 11. And if you read in chapter 11, um, there's a bunch of people that come up to Jesus and they begin to accuse him. He'd been casting out demons. And they accuse him of doing that in Satan's power, that he's actually doing Satan's work, that the work that Jesus is doing through the power of the Holy Spirit is actually evil. And so that's what blaspheming the Holy Spirit is, to say attributing the work of God to evil, attributing the work of God to Satan, getting things all mixed and muddled up, thinking good is bad and bad is good. And so when we get to that point, Ronald Rollheiser talks about this, a great Catholic writer. He says, it's not that God doesn't want to forgive you, but you no longer want to be forgiven. When you start to think about God's work as evil, attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan, at that point, you're so muddled and mixed up that you don't want to be forgiven. It's not that God won't forgive you, but that you don't want to. We see God's reality as a lie, and we see our reality as ultimate truth. It goes on, verse 11, and we're going to land here. And when you are brought to trial, remember this is all just one, one part of the whole thing, fearing God, you're thrown to hell, but he cares for you, don't be afraid. There's a spiritual reality going on. Remember to attribute God's work to God's work, not to evil. And when you are brought to trial, which many of his disciples are going to be brought into trial in the synagogues, and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. When you're brought in front of people who are questioning your faith, who are bringing attack or accusation against you, don't worry about what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. When you are brought towards or faced with something in life where people are attacking you, feel like you're being attacked, don't worry about defending yourself. And I think as followers of Jesus... In our culture, this has increasingly become our reality in a lot of ways. I mean, we've got it very good. We're not living in 
communist China or Iran or, you know, where Christianity is outlawed. But there has been a huge cultural shift in the way that people approach Christians over the last hundred or so years. It's originally started as, you know, everyone went to church. Church was just normal. Being a Christian was normal. And then it moved to a point where being a Christian was admirable. That, like, there was kind of the moral high ground. If you're a Christian or a devout person, you might, you might get a raise at your job, you know, because you're a good person. And then it changed from being admirable to being permissible. That, like, you do you, that's fine. Follow Jesus, whatever, go to church, whatever. Just keep it over there. I'll do my thing. You do your thing. I think in my lifetime, as I was growing up, it moved from being permissible to being weird, right? You go to church, that's so weird. Well, you give money away? That's so weird. You read your Bible? Like, well, that's so weird. Why would you do that? And I think increasingly, uh, following Jesus has changed from being weird, and increasingly the rhetoric is around it actually being harmful to society, hurtful. That there, there's been a huge shift in the, last, in the last couple of generations from being an admirable person, that like to be a Christian was be on the moral high ground, to being the moral low ground that we're seeing as um, anti to the to ways of the world. And people are threatened by the way of Jesus. And Jesus reminds us here that even when we find people that are hostile towards our faith or the way that we live our lives, he says, don't actually worry about how to defend yourself. Don't think about that. Don't, don't come up with plans around making yourself look better or whatever it is. He says, in the moment, the Holy Spirit will teach you at, what, at that time what needs to be said. The Holy Spirit will teach you. And when your primary motivation in that moment where you're feeling a bit prickly and someone's you know, attacking you or there's you know, stuff being said online or whatever it is, it shouldn't be how do I please this person in front of me or how do I defend myself. It is what does the Spirit require of me in this moment? What is the Spirit saying? If we continually come back to that, Worry about what is the Spirit saying to me right here, right now, in this moment. And when we get to that point where we fear God, where we right-size God, we will remember that He is dangerous, but He's not mean. He's not safe, but He is good. He loves us. He knows every hair on our head. Where we remember that there is a spiritual reality at play, that there is always a thing behind the thing, not just what we're right in front of us. And when people accuse us or put us on trial, we feel like we're on trial for our faith or, or, you know, being attacked, we don't have to worry about how to defend ourselves because we've right-sized God and we've right-sized people. And the beauty is when you don't fear the person in front of you, when your fear is appropriately in God instead of the person in front of you, you're actually free to love them because fear controls us. Fear makes us do crazy things. But when I'm not afraid of the person in front of me, I can actually love and serve them. I can actually give myself to them. And that's the sort of stuff that changes the world. So I wonder who you're afraid of. Who comes to mind that has an outsized effect on your life and your world? What situation are you afraid of? What person or tribe of people or, you know, someone on the online space or maybe it's a husband or a wife or 
a family member or a friend, someone at work, who has an outsized effect on your decisions? I'm willing to guess there are some things because I've got some people, right? The good news is Jesus is offering us freedom here, teaching us where to put our fear, how to appropriately right-size God and in turn right-size people. And Jesus' consistent call is to repent, which is a you know churchy word, sounds ominous. It just means to return, to put our eyes again on Jesus and right-size him. And when we right-size him, everyone else magically becomes perfectly human-sized. When our gaze on Jesus is fixed, everything else becomes right-sized. So I'd love you to just take a few moments just to close your eyes and just to think about those people in your life that you actually do fear. You fear what they say. You fear that if you make the wrong decision or you say the wrong thing, then there will be repercussions. I just want you to picture yourself with that person in front of you and just to look up and see the bigger story, to see God growing larger and larger in your view and the the person becoming perfectly human-sized. Just return again, fix your eyes on Jesus.